Hey everybody, it's Richard Harris with a very special and unique Surf and Sales podcast. Uh, this one's brought to us by, obviously, our good friends, uh, Lead411, um, our good friends over at Gong, as well as our new sponsor, Perception Predict, which can accurately, at the rep level, predict performance. Uh, it's very different than your traditional forecasting tool, so be sure to check any of our sponsors out. Um, the topic today is around imposter syndrome, something I've discussed and shared repeatedly, but in this one it's different because our friends over at Psych and Sales Podcast spend a ton of time talking about these kinds of topics, and we went deep on imposter syndrome, what that meant for me, how it affected my depression, how it was a part of my depression, how I worked through it, how I still work through it when it comes up, and we recorded this conversation hoping that other folks might like to listen to it as well. Uh, hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is your host of Psych and Sales, David Weiss. And as usual, I am joined by my amazing co-host, Dr. Aaron Weiss. You want to say hi to everybody, honey? Hi, everyone. And uh, on this episode of Psych and Sales, we have a repeat guest. In fact, our first repeat guest, and that that's because the first conversation was so amazing. We have uh, Mr., I'll call him also Dr. Richard Harris. Hey, Richard. Hello, and don't call me doctor. <laughs> I did not put in the work for that. Um, <laughs> sales doctor, but Mr. Richard Harris. Um, Thank so, you. Thank you. Yes, sir. So thanks for joining us uh, for a second episode. Really appreciate it. On the first one, we talked a lot about uh, your business and the different things that you help people with. But on this episode, we kind of wanted to you know, get a little deeper on, on the mental health aspects that you know, you've personally kind of gone through and um, love to turn it over to you to talk about, you know, some of the things you've, you know, worked on and worked with and struggled yeah. with um, that may help the audience. And then we'll unpack yeah, that. No, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, thank you. And, and I'm, I'm super open about this for folks who don't know. Um, I, I define myself as a functionally depressed person. Um, I've felt that way for a long time. I can, you know, I've been doing therapy for a long time um, and I actually like it. It's really fun for me, um, even though it's challenging. Um, but I really get a great sense of accomplishment out of it. And it was super scary at first. Um, but even before that, and even through therapy, I kind of recognize that, that, you know, wow, as a child, I, I remember those things. And, you know, for me, my earliest memories of it, and actually before I even go into that, I do want to say that you know, I am, for lack of a better phrase, it's my superpower because I'm lucky. Like, I did not suffer at the hands of abuse. I was not, I did not have alcoholic parents. I did not have, you know, my parents did divorce, but they were super amicable that they went to Thanksgiving and, and holidays to, you know, in the same wow. place. That's impressive. Yeah. So, so like, I am not, you know, out there to say that it works for everyone and those things. So I'm very conscious of my, for lack of a better phrase, I'm kind of lucky. Um, and so, so anyway, but for me, it, it really, like, I remember even as a kid, I would have conversations and I would actually feel like I was in the conversation, but I was actually watching the conversation outside a house, looking through the window. Mm -hmm. So there was a disconnect for me emotionally in those conversations. And, you know, I always felt that, you know, generally speaking, I'm a happy-go-lucky person. But there was always this string sort of just tugging on my heart or like if I was walking around with 10 pound weights on my feet all day, like I could move, I can function, but it's just harder in my mind. And so, you know, those feet, I acknowledged those feelings long before I went to therapy, but I was able to unpack them as I went to therapy. Um, so, I'll, you know, I'll sort of stop there and sort of let you guys ask questions around it, but happy to talk about how it played into my sales career and the ups and downs and all that stuff. But that's that's me right that's who i that's all a part of me as much as i am left-handed you know yeah i think a, a lot of people i hear that from that when they look back once they know what's going on they kind of realize that it was actually going on for a really long time and they just didn't know what it was or even that maybe it was different from how other people might experience life and um so it, it sounds like you said you're happy-go-lucky some of the time, maybe even a lot of the time, but there's also this extra weight. Things are harder. It's like you're being dragged down or even watching life from the outside at times. Yeah, and I, I still have those moments, right? Like I still 
have them, you know, and I think that contributes for me, not for everybody, that that's a part of my imposter syndrome. When I look at when I'm being successful, I still look at it through that lens of I'm outside the success house. Everybody mm -hmm. else is inside. And it creates a lot of imposter syndrome for me that I still struggle with. Um, I've learned to recognize it and work through it and kind of go, oh, that's this, you know, you know how to keep working through it, but that doesn't make the feeling go away. Right. And I still have to wallow in it for lack of a better phrase, but I've, whether they're some are coping mechanisms um, or learned habits versus also sort of the readjusting the wiring in my head, not necessarily rewiring it, but just adjusting it. Right. Um, those are the ways I've been able to get through that particular piece. So, but it's still very devastating. Yeah. So you've, you've learned some coping mechanisms for getting through, but it doesn't change. It hasn't changed how, how you feel. It's still hard. You still get down and feel like you're on the outside. Sometimes you've just learned to, to manage and live with it. Um, you know, I, I call it my survival instinct. I, I remember I talk about this all the time, um, particularly in my therapy, but I remember the day my parents sat me down to tell me they were splitting and we were literally going to move right next door to my best friend, which was awesome right? Like super cool. And, and I was like, wait, we're moving next to Hill. Next to, okay, cool. Like I didn't process it. I didn't need to process it. And this was probably what 78 ish, 79. There wasn't this practice of, you know, let me go find Dr. Weiss and you know, how should we explain this to our child? Right? Like, and I grew up in Macon, Georgia. So even Most less. People so. still don't do that. <laughs> What's that? So most people still don't do that. Yeah, how do I purchase with my child? I'm lucky when I get people at that point. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and it's also different. Look, I grew up in Macon, Georgia, in the deep south. I know you all are in Houston. So there's some of that southern pride. We don't talk about this stuff, right? Yeah. We whisper it. We don't talk about it. We whisper it. Um, whereas I'm in California now, it's like everybody's got that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's go. <laughs> What do you mean you don't have a therapist? You must be fucked up. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, so it's it's you know it's a journey, you know, and it's 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 really I'm really glad you invited me to, to come back on, and yeah, you know, I didn't know it was going to be your sec this first time second guest. So I appreciate you guys sort of recognizing it and saying, hey, we can go deeper on this stuff because I know that's what y'all like to do anyway. So um, I'm a, I'm appreciative of that because I know I hope that it helps. You know, yeah, yeah it sure. certainly helps me. Right. So. so when you mentioned kind of, hey, look, this was scary at first for the folks that maybe haven't been to therapy yet or thinking about it, I'm, I'm sure they're experiencing kind of a similar emotion. They're, it's like, yeah. they're scared. I mean, what, what was the fear about? Like, if someone's thinking about it, what, what, what could they relate to or what, what can you share? Like, what was that about? So for me, there's a lot of them and they still exist. One, there's the stigma. Oh, no, I'm one of those people and for those listening i'm doing air quotes um right i'm one of those people i'm not crazy and literally that's the word i would use right like i think at least for my generation you know it, it's all sort of jack nicholson one flew over the cuckoo's nest like am i going to get put in some weird place with nurse rat and it's kind of like you know so there's all that anxiety around it um there's also the anxiety of just admitting that you want help Right. Aside from the pressure you're putting on yourself, which is that, which is all those other things, it's just, am I a failure because I can't figure this part of life out on my own? Uh, and everybody else seems to not have these problems. Right. And the only way I can, you know, and I remember that, you know, this was also a big part of my lack of dating. You know, it took me a long time to realize that, you know, I was afraid to go say hello to, you know, a woman or a girl or you know I was in college or high school and and you know my therapist was like you know I can I've talked to enough women to tell you they feel the exact same thing <laughs> like they really do like they're just as nervous about saying hello to somebody and in some ways there's even more pressure because they're not supposed to go say hello particularly in the south right like mm -hmm. that's you wait for the chivalry right and it still took me a really long time to buy into that I did some group therapy you know, many, many years ago, and there were a couple of men and women, there were about five of us, and we would share those kinds of stories. And it, it was in those moments where that realization hit, not 
just for my therapist, right? So, so I'm not sure if I got off on a tangent or if I'm answering your question. So if I'm not, direct me. But it was admitting, the hardest part I think was admitting to myself that this was a problem. And I had to hit my version of rock bottom. My version of rock bottom was I could not get out of bed one day. You know, here I am, straight white male, which for me is okay. Me, not to say that you have to be. That's it's not a judgment thing. It straight white male, single, living in San Francisco, by myself with no roommates in Pacific Heights, a, r- a really nice neighborhood. Like on paper, those are all the things that someone who wants to date you would be like. Oh, all right, he's got a good job. He lives in a nice place. He can afford to do. You know, I mean, like just sort of. Those are the things that I thought mattered, and you know, and then statistically, you know. There's statistically, you know, higher probability I could meet someone because I'm not gay and I don't care, but just that's the way the population density is in San Francisco. Um, so anyway, so it was, it was just I woke up one day and was miserable and could not get out of bed. I was in tears. I was curled up in the fetal position, and that was my rock bottom. So you know, so I I did what every nice little Southern Jewish boy does. I I called my mom. <laughs> and so what do I do? Right. And her, and it's interesting because her first response was, well, why don't you just get on a plane and come home? Of course. And, yeah. Right. I will take care of you. Yeah. And, and my, and I've always been this way. We can talk about this too, but I was like, I can't do that. And she said, why? And I said, because the city wins. <laughs> I cannot let this city beat me down. And it was a time where I was working for a newspaper Everybody else was in tech. It was 1999, 2000, right before the tech bomb. And you're talking to all these people who were like, you know, what do you do? I work for this.com and that.com. And what do you do, Richard? You know, I sell classified ads in a newspaper. And so I felt very intimidated in the city. And, uh, and so it was, you know, but I couldn't let the city win. And I think that's, you know, I call it my survival instinct. It's the same instinct of win. You know, my parents told me they were divorcing and I was like, oh, I'm going to live next to my best friend. Like I was looking for this way to get out without addressing it. And so instinctually that has carried over several times in my life that that's what I've learned in therapy was like, I do have this innate survival skill. Um, so anyway, so I'll, I'll pause there and see. If, yeah, I mean, yeah. And, the, and the question around like, hey, it was scary. You know, what what was scary about it? And the stigma you know the feeling of i'm not crazy you know i'm not like am i a failure for doing this if someone's kind of thinking about going to therapy and they're not kind of at that point yet and they are scared you know what what would you share what would you say to them like that what would you say to a younger a younger richard hey i would say um it's okay to feel anything and everything yeah it's okay to feel nervous about it. It's okay to be scared about it. It's okay to, you know, there's also that moment of like, okay, I'm going to go get this fixed. I'm going to go handle this. Right. And you sort of, for me, I treated it more like, okay, I'm going to go to the doctor and they're going to give me a pill. Right. I didn't realize that pill was going to take a long time to swallow, (laughs) but, but there's that relief, right? It's kind of like, Oh, I don't feel good for a day or two. I don't feel good. Oh, I'm going to go to the doctor. And the doctor like, Oh yeah, you know what? You, you don't have a cold. You actually have pneumonia. You do need, this and so there's that relief there too so it's not all the negative it's like so my my advice is just just know that it's okay to feel everything you don't even have to agree with that statement you don't have to say yeah i get it i i own that i I can feel everything just know that's an option right is that you can feel it all and that's okay and if and if that confuses you, that confusion's okay. Because that means you're trying to figure it out. And that's the healthy part. Yeah, and I, and I think one important you know, takeaway from this for me would be, once you start thinking about, do I need to go to therapy? The answer is probably already yes. And yeah. you know, if you're at that point, things probably aren't just gonna magically fix themselves. Yeah. And so they're eventually going to get worse. And to your point, most people wait until they hit rock bottom. And I'll just use, let's take mental health and let's look at physical health. It, it's kind of like, you know, you know, my arm's tingling, my heart hurts, my chest feels like it's going to explode, but I haven't had a heart attack yet. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to kind of 
hang out for a little bit until I collapse on the floor. Um, you know, you, you may, once you start having symptoms, want to go see a physical doctor about those symptoms. The, the mental health aspect to me is absolutely the same. Um, I, I, would, I agree. And, and I would add to that, that um, many people stay healthy physically to prevent those things, right? They're runners, they're exercisers, they eat right. I don't necessarily, you know, unfortunately, I ch I'm challenged with that part too. Like we can talk about food and the challenges of food and, <laughs> you know, um, and, you know, I'm an emotional eater and all those kinds of things, right? Um, but we encourage ourselves to do those things to take care of ourselves. We do not do things to encourage us to take care of our mental health. No, like, right? What's that? It's like quite the opposite. Totally. We later, we drink more, we do worse things for ourselves. It feels right. good right now. Let's just do it. <laughs> totally, totally. And it's, and that's a big piece of the message. That's a big piece is like, hey, you know, sitting there on your sofa literally for two minutes and just taking deep breaths with your eyes closed, that's, that's mental health. Mm -hmm. That's right. Like that's, you don't need to go to a therapist all the time. You just need to just try to feel whatever it is and just sort of feel everything, right? Let yourself, give yourself permission to feel everything. And I think that's super important. I agree. I think that's a great starting point. It, not, not only is it okay, but it's important to yeah. feel everything. Those feelings I'm going to flip it on yeah. you because you're the, you're the therapist on the call, right? Um, you know, you're, you're the, you're the wiser of the three. Um, what advice do you give to people when, and granted, maybe they already come and see you first, right? They, they've already done that. If you are talking to somebody, what are the things you're listening for to maybe say, maybe you should go talk to somebody? Like, what do you, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, if I were your friend and I'm like, I don't know if I should see a therapist, what do you think? And, and you may say, I don't answer those questions, Richard, because that's, you know, not appropriate, but what would be those things if a friend asked you that you would be like, you know what, you might want to talk to somebody. Um, so what would be the things that would make me tell a friend that they should talk to someone, I guess, if they were feeling like their negative emotions were outweighing their positive emotions, like mm -hmm. they were having them more often um, than positive emotions. If they, we're having trouble functioning um, in, you know, doing the things that they wanted to do or needed to do, or even just having trouble enjoying life. So maybe they're getting their work done, but they're miserable or they can't enjoy themselves when they go out or they're too anxious or any of those things. Um, probably frequent conflict or problems with other people, um, trouble sleeping, yeah. and trouble if, eating. And if I may, like, when I'll just talk about my own personal experience. Luckily, I married a psychologist, so it's really easy for me to get therapy. Um, but I, I'm also you sure know, she's thrilled by that. She didn't know she was getting into that, did she? <laughs> oh, I was very open about who I was. <laughs> she chose me. Me too, actually. That is that is her fault. <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, I'm uh, even though I'm married to a psychologist um, and have been in and out of some form of mental health therapy for oh shit uh since i was five you said five right? yeah i mean 30 years wow. longer than 30 years i won't say old i am but more than 30 years um you know my wife was a, well, sorry my mother was a psychologist my wife's psychologist i was in that's not a Freudian slip it just happens to both, <laughs> it just happens to both be true don't go there i saw you don't know i'm gonna turn around and interview you guys next time so <laughs> So um, it, it's even sometimes hard for me to talk about these things, even after the right. years. years. Um, so what I look for is changes in rhythms and patterns. Um, the same thing that happened last week that happens this week, am I more mad about it? Um, do, when I normally get tired, when I normally wake up, um, when I'm normally doing work, the amount of work I'm able to get done, I just look at myself, my energy levels, my patterns, my rhythms, everything that goes on. And when I start noticing material changes, and then I notice that material change for, you know, more than a, a day or two, days, yeah. I start saying, Hmm, what is going on here? And then if I notice it get worse and it's not something I can just like meditate through or mentally work out, then it's like, okay, I, I need to talk to somebody. Cause remember it's, 
therapy is not, again, to your point, meaning you're fucked up. Therapy is not, you can't handle it. Therapy is just like you'd see a swing coach to get, cause you're shanking a ball. It's something's going on here. I'd like yep. to talk about what's going on. And that's what I, that's what I would relate it to. Yes, that all sounds great. Uh, Richard, pause. Oh, you were frozen for a second there. Yeah. Okay. I thought you were just sitting back and like thinking about the yeah. waiting for me to talk. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. So what I, what I was saying is that, and I, th and, and I think it's what you're saying, David, is that at some point, because you've done this, you actually start to recognize ahead of time. I had stopped going to therapy and uh, was getting married. And I was like, you know, I told my wife, I, you know, I'm like, I'm going to go start seeing my therapist again because this is a big life change and I want this to be healthy. Like, I don't know how I'm going to be. And so I went and saw my therapist for a couple of months and then that stopped. And then, you know, we, we, bye, bud. We, um, you know, we were having our first kid and I'm like, I'm going back to therapy. <laughs> like, like I, you know, like this is because I, I had a like this was a big piece of like I really wanted kid like that was a big deal of my therapy, and then there was this big deal of well what am I gonna do with this kid all day long like I can't give this kid all my attention twenty four like I just didn't know, then so I did that for a while and then didn't go for many years and then my dad got sick and passed away and I'm like here we go again like so I for me life changes became the trigger that I would pay attention to, right? Like we recognize them. And, and, um, and to your point, I do notice the stuff of like, this isn't working. Like I do medication. I'm a big fan of medication for psychotherapy. And, you know, a few months ago I was like, Hmm, maybe I should just go and see what the doctor says. And he's been running me through some stuff and asking questions and adjusting things and it's been really healthy so that's those are some of the positive things that i think people you know it takes time to get there it's not going to happen on day one um might not happen in week one or month one but that's the kind of light that's at the end of the tunnel is you learn in a healthy way to how to try and do these things right and even if you still mess up it's no big deal <laughs> everybody you know? still messes up sometimes right nobody's no, so let let's go back a little bit though because yeah. so you you um scared of therapy hit rock bottom called mom called mom did not fly home city didn't win um and you're you're going to you know you're you're feeling depressed and you know the, the your you know whatever other emotions that go along with it maybe let's let's talk about that but um in your early therapy sessions like what and you don't need to disclose any crazy details but like how, how did those feel? What, what did you kind of share? What are some of the tangible things that you started yeah. to work on? You know, talk, talk to folks about that. Yeah. So it's, it's a great question because, um, you know, this is where my parents still influenced me heavily and not, not with a bad intention, you know, even my, you know, my dad's like, well, why don't you ask your therapist, you know, how many times you're going to need to go? Like how many oh, sessions is this going to take? Uh, it's seven. It's question. seven times. <laughs> right. And, and so, and I, you know, and, and again, here's my father who actually was a big part of my problem, nurturing me, trying to help me take care of myself, right? That, and he didn't know how to do different. He didn't know. And, you know, my therapist kind of said, well, it doesn't work that way. You know, you, it, it takes as long as it takes. And, you know, I talked to my dad and my dad was like, well, you know, I don't know, maybe you should go talk to someone else or, you know, <laughs> you know, but those are the things you learn, right? Um, so anyway, so I, I, so that was the really, that was the scary part. I was working for this newspaper that had deadlines, like the paper got printed Tuesday night. And the only time my therapist could see me was Tuesdays at four, right? So literally the deadline. And, um, and I would have my cell phone on during therapy and I would have to take the call. And it took about six or eight weeks and my therapist saying, you know, it's okay. You know, it's kind of, you're here for this. You're not there for that. And I had a hard time just even letting go of that um, and learning to just turn off the phone and therapy. And it was, it was tough. And I was like, but, but you don't understand, like, this is business. Like this, like if this doesn't get out, like the whole paper, she's like, she looked at me and she said, if you got hit by a car today, would the paper still go out tomorrow? I said, yeah. She's like, okay, well, relax. 
you know, like it just sort of, she was, and she wasn't trying to be that dark. I don't, she made, that may be my interpretation of her analogy. Maybe she was <laughs> that dark. Cause I don't think a therapist would do that, but you know, she was her point. It took a while for me to finally get comfortable with that. And I was also, you know what, I was afraid what other people would say. Right. I didn't tell, you know, I even told, you know, the first time I went, I said, Hey, I've got to go to a doctor's appointment. Right. Like I, I got to go. And then I asked her, I said, well, what do I do when I come in here every week? Like I can't, have a doctor's appointment every week. They're going to think I'm interviewing. They're going to like, I'm in sales, right? You stop showing up consistently. They think you're interviewing and you lose your job. And, uh, and I, and she just said, you know what? Just tell them you have a standing appointment. You have a standing appointment every Tuesday at four. You just want them to be aware. And that was like the best thing. Like those are all the little things that I was using as my excuse factory to keep me from wanting to go. Right. Um, and work was it. Work was my biggest excuse factory. So I'm, I'm hearing natural work anxiety that I think a lot of people, a lot of salespeople deal with because we, we're all on a deadline. Uh, and yeah. by the way, I, I worked in the newspaper business as well, um, as well as, the, as in classifieds actually, and also in the recruitment advertising business for quite a long time. And, and yeah, there, there are weekly deadlines. There are even daily deadlines, uh, depending on, on the publication or monthly, what have you. Yep. Um, but we're all on deadlines. We're all on, you know, monthly quotas or weekly metrics or, you know, quarterly or annually. There's, there's always some sort of deadline or uh, leading or lagging indicators within, you know, the business that you know, can, can say one thing or another about us. So those all, and then by the way, there's scorecards and, and dashboards and more reports than, than we all know what to do with or want to see anymore. Um, so they're, they're all anxiety producing. So we're constantly getting bombarded and judged on our work more than any other profession. Most of our calls are recorded these days uh, and shared and listened to and live forever. Um, so we are always under a microscope in sales. Um, so that can be, you know, highly anxiety producing. So I did hear depression, you know, from you and but I'm also hearing lots of anxiety and just being able to shut down and even be in the moment while you talk about being in the moment more um, to deal with the anxiety. <laughs> it's like it's that spiral. So what are, what are some things that you do that you did that they recommend that, that your therapist recommended to you that may help, you know, folks that are of course. So, um, you know, so my, my therapist is, is, is still the same woman is a psychologist. Um, and obviously you can't prescribe medication, but she said, you know, this might be an option for you. You know, I'm not here. You know, I can, if you want to talk about it, I'm happy to answer what questions I know, but I'm not the person who can ever do that. That's your decision. And again, I was like, no way. I, I'm not one of those people. Right. At that point, you know, it was like, oh, it's Prozac and Prozac means, you know, all kinds of stuff or, you know, um, so it was, it was just, you know, it was, that was one piece. Um, she did a lot for me therapeutically. We did a lot of double chair work um, where I would sit and talk to my parents and say what I wanted to say. And then I would say in the way that I thought they would answer, um, not necessarily in the nurturing parent way. So she had me do the double chair work um, and saying the things that I wanted to say, which actually became practice for how to say the things I wanted to say in a healthy way. Um, she worked on diet with me, which didn't go so well. Um, not for her, for me, I just have a hard time. <laughs> with that. Um, but she brought it up and we talked about diet and exercise. Um, but she also recognized that this was a good thing. Like the, just the fact that I was here. And one of the things she actually did do, she said, cause I, I lived in, in San Francisco on this little town street called Chestnut street, very hip, very cool, very vibrant literally out my door, like five feet out my front door. And she says, you know, just go on a walk. And so I would, there would be times I would just go and I'd walk up the street for five or 10 minutes in one direction and walk back for five minutes. And all of a sudden I've done a 10 minute walk. I've exercised, I've got my blood flowing and I'm thinking and I'm breathing. She also said, um, cause I, again, I had a hard time communicating with, with people. She also said, um, ask the cashier at the grocery store how they're doing today uh, she had a lot of like exposure work for you just yeah yeah those sort of things you were anxious about build up your confidence totally and and you'd be and she's like you know you'd be surprised how appreciative they, those people will be and again here i am in sales 
right? Like thinking like I know how to sell and talk to people. But when I got into the social world, I had nothing. I had zero game, right? And so that was super helpful for me. Um, I did and still have a, a negative complex about my looks, which I'm happy to, you know, it still makes me very uncomfortable. And she, you know, she would say, well, what, there's got to be something you like. What's one thing you like about yourself, like physically? Like, what is it? Because we talked a lot about weight and how I don't like that. She said, well, yeah, but what do you like? And I, and I, she's like, go home this week and look in the mirror and like, just look for something you like and you don't have to love it, but just be like, okay, I don't feel as bad about that as I do this. Mm. And for me, it was my eyes. And, uh, and I don't even know why, like, I don't know why it was my eyes. I couldn't tell you. Um, so to your point, I got, you know, the clinical version, like I've never heard this exposure work phrase until you said it, even uh-huh. though I've done that. So <laughs> I think that's what she was. Right. Just yeah. finding a little so, in somewhere and growing it from there for each yeah. of the areas that you were struggling with. Yeah. Totally. What about Bob? Right. Totally. Baby steps. Baby steps. Baby steps. Right. We like, had um, another guest, uh, Zha Zhang, on the sh- on the co- on the call or on the show, and he talked a lot about. He's got a book called Rejection Proof, and he talked a lot about rejection therapy and exposure therapy. and And the, and the thought is, if um, and, and even though we're in sales, and to your point, we're social creatures. A lot of salespeople that struggle with social anxiety are more the the process driven salespeople. They're the sales engineers. They're they're probably like you and me that are highly addicted to step-by-step methodical process. Cause then it's less about the social aspects and more about, Hey, let's, let's do really good discovery. Let's ask all the right questions. Let's put people through something that, you know, we're highly comfortable with and we understand. But then when you go off, that's really, I've never thought about that. I'm going to, I'm going to bring, you guys know Scott Lee. So I'm going to bring that up to him and see if he recognizes it because he's worked with so many people. I never thought about it, but one of the things he did notice about me when we first started working was that I was much more process oriented than he was and still am. And it's one of the reasons we, you know, when we work together, we have a good time. And I never thought about it from the angle of, you know, I like the structure because then I don't have to worry about the social aspect of it. Right. Right. You can do that socially, though. It's the, the talk show host technique. You, you, you can, yes. You can people build, want to talk about themselves. You, you can build a process around that. You can. <laughs> and and I, look, I, I've had uh, social anxiety issues as well. And I run a podcast, and, and I'm very process-driven. Um, but I, that's why I recognize it in you, and I recognize it in other people that are highly process-driven, because it's, it, it's com- once you know the script, you're on the script. You can stay on the script. You can stay in the flow. There's a plan. You know There's what you're supposed to do. But once it's yeah, all yeah. Those are the social aspects that it's, that's all charisma. That's just, that's just gold. It's interesting because as I, as I go through this medication readjustment, the last few months, we're trying to determine if I actually have ADHD, which I think I do. Like I, like not, not in the, Oh, everybody's got a little ADHD, like clinically, because there's no such thing as a little bit. Like that's what I've learned about it so far. And he hasn't decided he can't, he's like, I have a lot of tendencies, he says, but you know, we're trying to figure out, have I just masked over it with coping so well that the tendencies don't get all the way through or do I really have it? And there's a real no, look, there's a whole scale of it. So we don't ever know really, but, um, but to the, to your point, I do know that, you know, ADHD, one of the things that's nice is that process helps, right? Knowing that this is what my schedule is and this is what time I'm going to do it. And here's where I got to be. That helps me relax around, not worrying about where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to say? So, um, but it was interesting. I really, uh, I, thank you for bringing that up. I really appreciate it. What was the name of that book again, David? Uh, Rejection. Rejection Proof. Uh, ja, J-I-A, Zhang, J-I-A-N-G. If I yeah. spelled it wrong, I apologize, but that's I'm what I remember. Pretty sure, right? It's around here somewhere. Um, but uh, we're moving, so things are in boxes. But yeah. um, anyways, uh, so that that's that's really good lessons for folks that, maybe struggling with some of the social aspects because one of yeah. the things I see a lot of early, even mid-stage career sales folks is they, they're scared to sometimes ask the tough questions because they don't want to get rejected or they're, they're scared because they want people to like them. And yes, it is important in our profession for people to like you, but it, it's not so important that you can't ask specific questions or scared of some of those more advanced sales questions 
around, mm. you know, budget, timeline, decision process, other decision makers, you know, pushing yeah. information that's going to be required. All of those things that with so people with social anxiety, they may struggle to do. And to your point, it's a lot of one, build a process around it. So you do it every time so you're comfortable with it. And two, you got to sometimes just ask the questions and just do it and realize that what's the worst that could happen, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. It's so interesting to hear that from you. Like you're, you're making my mind explode on a lot of things, which is good. Like even the people can't see it, but I'm wearing my, you know, my favorite phrase is you got to earn the right to ask questions. And it all comes back to that. Like I've got to go through a little bit of a process before I start asking those questions. And I think in sales, if you haven't been taught that it becomes harder to ask those questions, right? It, it does create that social anxiety. Um, so that's, it's super interesting. The other thing, and, and I would love y'all's opinion on this. And I know you're supposed to be interviewing me, but okay, whatever. <laughs> this, um, is a, this is a conversation, man. We're, we're yeah. having fun. Let's go. Yeah. Is, is, and I also think, and this actually goes back to what we really started with. I also think there's an additional stigma for men to talk about this, mm. right? Men are men. We don't cry, you know, suck it up, buttercup kind of stuff. Um, you know, don't be a pussy, you know, all that stuff that is taught at such a young age mm -hmm. that God forbid we tell someone that we have a struggle, right? I, yeah. I see some eye kind of what's going on over there. What are you guys thinking? What's that? <laughs> what would you like to share Dr. Weiss? I was just looking at you because I wasn't planning on sharing. Oh, oh that's fine. <laughs> but there's, there's clearly some inside joke that we're not aware of. Uh, so just conversations about how to uh, address crying with our son. Oh God. <laughs> I got the, I'm in the same boat. Like, I, trust me, like it. And again, that even becomes worse. So then I'm like, if I screw up with my kids, I go to my therapist and my therapist is like, look, black, right? Like this is not the big, right. This is not the biggest deal in the world. Right. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's true. Like, and we don't know how, and particularly for me, because I was never nurtured in that way. Right. Like, you know, as, as much as, you know, people are saying we're getting softer and stuff. Well, on the other hand, we're also building a lot more confident people, mm -hmm. you know, um, at least from my perspective. Right. As, as a Gen Xer, it's kind of like, you know, I didn't have anybody there to help me uh, or who were emotionally capable of helping me and, and specifically on the father side. Right. My mom, you know, as I, my joke is, you know, mom loved me too much and dad didn't love me enough. Right. Like, you know, mom was overbearing. There's a reason I moved from Georgia to Arizona. Right. It's, and I, there's a reason I have a two state buffer rule between me and, you know, the nearest family member. And when my mom, <laughs> Do they know this? Mom, is this going to be news when I listen to the podcast? <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, you know, I, you know, when I went to college, I told my mom, she's like, well, can, you know, I'm going to come out with you. I'm like, no, you're not. Right. She's like, I'm like, mom, she's like, why? I was like, cause I can't spend three days in the car with you. Like it was, I, I'm 18 and I'm, I'm at least I'm comfortable enough to have this survival skill to say that that goes back to me being 10 and just stating it. Um, and she said, well, what if I fly out there? No, 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 mom. I want to be independent. I want to, no, 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 no. I don't want you there. And then of course, and she, and she totally respected me. She totally said, okay. And then even a few years later, I, I finally said to her, you know, I should have let you go. I should have had you come with me, you know? And, uh, and I even think, that moment fed into my depression because I did get there and I saw everybody with their own parents and having that last dinner out with their parents or, you know, going, you know, shopping with their parents and I'm doing it all on my own. And I know, I, re I remember those feelings, right? So again, it's like, it's tough for guys. It's tougher, I think, um, in some ways. So. Yeah. No, please, sir. Well, I was just going to say, I know you had mentioned the business side and we had started talking a little bit about how this maybe impacts you as a salesperson with the social anxiety so i was going to kind of bring it back around to the the sales part of like connecting it but if you wanted to add something to this piece yeah please. all let's go to yours but just real fast all i was going to do is, is validate and comment on the stigma um it, there is a stigma um it it should stop um there you're not doing yourself any favors and one of the reasons why we started this podcast is honestly i i believe there's there's two sides of a person or there's two sides of the salesperson there's the people that are and there's a lot of information out there on process 
methodologies, um, ways to do all sorts of things to become a better salesperson. And I, and I know that, and I've read them and I've written books on them and I've studied them and I've spent 15 years of my life trying to get really, really, really good at this craft. Um, one thing I found though, is recently with, with COVID, a abusive boss, a uh, job change because of it, um, homeschooling a child, ramping up and being new at an organization, um, all my skills and everything I had acquired, it didn't matter. Yep. Um, I burned out, I hit a wall, and I was in a really bad place. And that's where Psychic Sales was born. Because uh, I started realizing I couldn't outwork problems. And I probably wouldn't have gotten to some of those points if I had done a better job of just, I don't know, listening to my wife and having more open, honest conversations with my wife. Is also yep. So I think the, the point I'm trying to make here is um, there is a stigma. It is nonsense. you eventually will fail. Um, and this is not about, um, you know, being crazy. This, this is about, there are two sides of a coin and yeah, yeah. The mental aspect. And then there is the, all your knowledge. And at some point, if you don't have strong mental uh, acuity, you won't be able to use all the knowledge you have. So freaking do something about it. Um, there's actually, by the way, there's three sides to the coin. There's heads, there's tails, and the edge. Ah. Edges to the side. We pay attention. We don't pay attention to the edge. Pay attention to the edge. And the edge is the mental stuff. The stuff we try not to talk about. Yes. Everything that's not black. It's the gray area. Yes. Right? Heads, the lights are on. Tails, the lights are off. The edge is the dimmer switch. Mm, yep. Yep. Exactly. So, anyway. I like that. I hadn't heard that analogy before. It's a good one. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Aaron, I, just, yeah. I just made it up. Of course you didn't. Yeah, well, there we go. Let's hope it takes off. Um, so screw the stigma, get, get right. help, talk about your problems. It'll make you feel better. There you go. I'm off my soapbox back. Yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> do you feel better now? I do. I don't mind sharing that story. Okay. So, um, so yeah, you, we talked a little bit here about some of the ways that this has impacted you as a salesperson. I think it's it's really important um, for salespeople to know that other successful salespeople have the imposter syndrome, have anxiety, deal with depression, that those aren't things that kill your um, career to admit and to um, get help for. But what what are some of the other ways besides that that social anxiety piece that you've seen this um, kind of play into your your life and work as a salesperson. Yeah. So you, you froze on me a bit. So what is the, I heard everything but the final question. Oh, I was, I'm not sure where I left off, but how, how it plays into your life and work as a salesperson, the, the mental health aspect. Yeah, it, it eats away it, for me, right? Because I don't, I don't want to speak for everybody because everybody's on their own journey. It, it would eat away at me, right? And it was, it, it was, you know, the ups were up and the downs were down and they were way down. And sometimes even the ups were way down. I would be successful, but then it would be terrible, right? Like, well, that wasn't good enough. Or how am I going to do that again? Or, oh, my pipeline's not full. I'm going to struggle next month. I'm always looking for the next negative thing. And you know, my month, feel too good, right? Right. Even when I'm successful, I'm like, well, when's the bottom going to fall out? Right, safer. The bottom always has to fall out, right? And so you, for me, I couldn't enjoy to some extent. And, because, and it's interesting to me, you know, how many people I talk to about this in sales, yet we're in this world where our life is dependent on ups and downs, right? Our life is dependent on, you know, starting from zero again on October 1st, right? Like it's, you know, meanwhile, it, it, it puts additional pressures on ourselves. Um, and I'm sure there's a whole other discussion around that. Like someone should do a study on that. Um, but, but anyway, so that, that's, you know, so it affected me there. I was, you know, as I went through therapy, there was work. I went by Ricky in the time there was work, Ricky, and then there was home life, Ricky hmm. and work. Ricky was confident, bold, knew how to talk to people, could handle problems, could manage and coach people, could give advice. You know, 
you know, home Ricky was depressed, sad, didn't know how to talk to people, didn't know how to take built it out as two different things, right? I over compartmentalized for myself. So, um, so that really affected my life that way. Um, I also threw myself into work. I would work 10 and 12 hours a day and I burned myself out. And that was, I think that was a huge piece of that day that I woke up in my bed, um, frozen was because I'd burned myself out. I, when I left that company, the newspaper company, I think I had, I'd been working there seven years almost. And I think I had like six weeks of vacation I had never taken because I was afraid, wow. right? So here was a big fat paycheck, right? That was cool. Um, Not worth but it. I, what's that? Not worth it. No. And, and it took me a couple of more jobs to realize that's not good. Like you do need to take your vacation, right? You've earned it, go take it. And if you work in an organization where, you know, they're not willing to recognize that you might slump for a month or two because you took a vacation, well, then that's not on you. That's on them for building out, you know, lunatic goals, <laughs> right? Like that's, you know, their idiocy is not your problem to solve. But it took me a long time to realize that. Man, yeah, good. I was just saying, I think that there's almost a point of pride for some people. Like, look at what a work ethic I have. I haven't used any of my vacation, totally. right? It's yep. Yep. I was, I was a hundred percent that way. I was a hundred percent. There were, there were times where I was like, no, I'm not coming home for Thanksgiving or Christmas because I need to be here for work. Someone, it's my turn to be here, right? That kind of thing, right? I was. I would use the excuse of, hey, I'm Jewish, so you know what? I'm going to work at Christmas because I want everybody else to be able to go home. I never did that. No, never. Mm -mm. It doesn't sound so, good at all. No. I would just take Hanukkah <laughs> and Christmas because no one else was around, so it was, it was fantastic. Yeah. Month of December, and it's my birthday, so whole month of but December. What I, you know, and, and if you are that person, if you are that person who likes to do that, trade it off. Yep. Hey, look, everybody, I'm happy to work for Christmas because it's, it's, you know, I'm Jewish and it's not a huge holiday for me but I want new year's off or I want this week in January off. Like it's a, it's a totally appropriate thing to do and people appreciate it, but don't forget to take care of yourself. Like that would be my suggestion if people are that way or they're thinking about it. Um, because I think it's, I think it's a, it's fair. If you're going to volunteer to work over the holiday, then someone needs to take you your slot. Okay. So, um, so anyways, that's how you, you I had the same tricks. I did the same exact thing. New year's is still my yeah. holiday. So I, I hope that answered the question of how it affected my sales. If you're, if, I didn't know if you were looking for something more specific on goals or achieving goals or that something, but that's that's how I interpreted the question. Yeah, that's, that's great. Perfect. Yeah. You know, Richard, as always, man, this is um, time flies when you're having fun, and this has been yeah. a fantastic conversation. Um, thank you for taking uh, more time with us. I appreciate it. Man. I'd like I'd like to go into one more subject if we can. Do you yeah, have five? Please. So yeah. Um, it's over, September's over, but the problem isn't, is that, you know, September was Suicide Awareness Month. Mm -hmm. um, and I, again, that's an even bigger stigma to talk about. Okay. And it's, you know, that's, that's, that's way, way tougher. And, um, and I like to talk about it so that people know that it's okay to talk about. And so I, you know, a couple of things, it's interesting I did on the sales side, I actually sent out a, and, and I've said this about myself, is that I've had suicidal thoughts but I've never once wanted to act on them. So again, this is that part where I feel super lucky around my mental health that, well, I know that there's a lot of people who, who do want to act on them, right? right. I, could, yeah. I could never do it. Like I just, it's part of that, the city won't win mentality that for whatever reason is in me. So I consider myself lucky Yeah. Um, and others are not. So I, I don't, I don't poo poo that at all. Um, so I just want people to know about it. And there's a couple of things I would say is that, you know, there is a national suicide awareness hotline yep. and it's not meant just for the person who might be thinking about suicide. It is meant for those of us who are talking to someone or they think that there's someone who might need help. Yep. And it's super, super important that people be aware of that, that if you think someone in your family or friend might be suicidal, there is a resource for you to figure out how you can help them in the best way that you can without you know trying to overstep a boundary 
right? And I just want to make sure people know that because it's it's a really important issue. And so, anyways, since we were talking about mental health and sales, and I know people, I know people who are in sales who put so much pressure on themselves that they've attempted. Um, it didn't go, it didn't work for them. They and they say that they blessed, you know, they feel very blessed that 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 it, that they failed at that. Um, but uh, anyway, I just want to bring it up for a minute or two for those who may or may not have to experience this. I just want you to know that it's it's also okay to talk about it. It's even more scary than traditional mental yeah and i'm glad you did and, and i'm glad we spent a few extra minutes on it and, and for folks listening like remember you are not your number um and i uh oh richard uh we'll wait for richard uh editors edit pause so y'all got y'all totally froze on my side i hope i didn't freeze yeah. If you can hear me, go ahead and wrap it up. Maybe you'll send me your recording. I can hear you. Just one sec. Anything? Ah, oh, shoot. Right. Um, so editors edit the last piece here. Um, pick up. So the, for the folks that are listening, um, just remember, uh, you are not your number. Um, we all have goals to hit, but if we don't hit them, life will be okay. Things will go on. If for some reason you lose your job, you will get another one. So um, I'm thankful to Richard for bringing this up because so many people tie themselves and their self-worth to their quota and their number. And when especially in tough times, people don't hit it. That's where a lot of this comes from. So yourself, you, you are worth it as a person. Um, don't let your number um, drive your self-worth. And I know it's easier said than done, but um, just remember that. Erin, uh, any, any comments on that? No, I'm just thankful that Richard brought it up because it is really important and, and it's not an uncommon thing for people who are struggling with depression or um, anxiety to have suicidal thoughts and sometimes want to act on it. And a lot of times people are very thankful when those attempts fail, um, if not at first, then eventually. And it's important to know that there's resources out there and that, you know, just like having any other challenge with your mental health and needing to work on it is not a sign of something being wrong or broken with you, you know, suicidal thoughts is, is no different than that. It doesn't mean um, that you're, you're bad or crazy. It's just sometimes things get really hard, but there is help out there and it's a sign that you really could benefit from some extra support. Absolutely. So um, thank you, uh, Richard Harris, for joining us. Um, for audience that are listening, uh, please go check Richard out online, um, linkedin.com rharris. Uh, you can find him at the Harris Consulting Group. Um, he's also a director of sales training and consulting at Sales Hacker. Um, very visible online, does a lot for the sales community. So Richard, uh, thanks for joining us. And um, for the audience listening, uh, thank you all for sticking with us and uh, for, for joining us as always. Hopefully you found it helpful. And um, if Aaron and I can do anything for you, uh, please let us know. And thank you for listening and a uh, pleasure having you back again, Richard. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Bye.